sharing yet again yet again the podcast where spooky news and frightful views are shared with each other and you about all things horror (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna do this this time as always i'm here with the incredibly talented uh and just a lovely person all around brandy joe planbeck the flame and scream queen himself and i am here with the miraculously remarkable jeremy the original sasquatch slim rusk and we are as christian coined us the scare boys the scare boys Wait, I, I wonder if there's other scare boys out there because it seems like such a simple thing but like i love it so thank you christian yeah i wonder if there are others from it's only a podcast <laughs> my, <laughs> my weekly plug and i don't get paid by them uh just i know love, right uh, no no kickbacks whatsoever the occasional like i know the the occasional listen so that's all the love i that's all like the payment i need mm-hmm so yeah yeah um jeremy happy it's for us i mean as people listen to this you know halloween season will be over um or just ramping up if you depending on how you look at it true you know it's like oh we're just getting ready for it again yeah (laughs) come november 1st exactly (laughs) uh but for us like we're right in the heart of it it looks like fall out there it feels like fall out there even though last week it was like 70 degrees here but now it is like fall is fucking here yeah and i'm not looking forward to breaking all those leaves in my yard oh my god i know i'm definitely gonna pay someone to do that <laughs> mm, good idea <laughs> but it's like when do you do it is the thing like I, I suppose if you love raking leaves it's like oh my god like you can do it so many times but like if you really don't like the process which mm-hmm. is probably most of us it's like there it it just it happens so much so like i'm like wait until they're all down that's what I did last year, and that was a stupid idea, because we have two maple trees, mm. one in the front, one in the back, and it's like, I really have to do it in uh, waves as they come down, or else it's just too much. It's yeah. overwhelming to do it all at once. So, And the really frustrating thing is I'm in Hazel Park, or Gazel Park, as I, I like to call it, And but if you cross my backyard, you're in Ferndale, Michigan, and in Ferndale, they have trucks that come around and pick your leaves up from your your um mm-hmm. your curb and in hazel park you don't so literally my my neighbors across my back fence can do that but yep. i have to bag them that's what Ta- i remember tag them and when, bag them. when we used to live in hazel park i hated that because we had to bag all those leaves and there'd just be tons of bags of leaves at the road uh, but luckily, where I live now in Livonia, they have a truck that comes by and sucks it all up out of the oh, street. That is, so it's nice. Good so old. You just rake it to the. Yep. You yep, just rake it to the street. Ah, oh, fall tasks. You know. Mm-hmm. Do you get into pumpkin spice flavors of anything? Yes, absolutely. I just found because my husband had come home with some maple flavored butter, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh fuck! Like this shit is good." Like I don't normally put butter on really any like i'm not like ooh butter or ooh salt i'm not those are two condiment would you call them condiments seasoning yeah extra seasonings, condiments yeah 
extracurriculars. Uh, I didn't, I don't really put those on anything, but I was like, oh, fuck, maple butter sounds good. So I like have like a pretzel and I put some on a pretzel and I was like, oh my God. And then I went to buy more because I ate so much of it. And then I was like, oh my God, there's pumpkin spice, pumpkin spice butter. <laughs> so that is my new thing is pumpkin, but I enjoy it. Um, Jamie on only slightly opinionated is like not into it because he's like, it's just cinnamon flavored. And ever since he said that, I sort of taste it and... And I do sometimes taste, oh, wow, this, for the most part, is just like a little cinnamon, a little nutmeg. But I'm yeah. still here for it, I got to say. Me too. The, the, the haters, I don't know. Y'all want to feel special or something. Because I know <laughs> pumpkin spice like took over the world. And you're like, I'm tired of it. Make it go. But it's here to stay for a reason. And it's everywhere for a reason. Because people want to taste it. So just stop hating. Just it reminds give. you of comfort, you know, comfort yeah. like Thanksgiving. So if you hate pumpkin spice latte, you must hate being thankful is what it comes down to. That's what I think. You know? Yeah. There's just, <laughs> there are certain things that like hating them is just as much an identity as liking them for some reason where you're like either a pumpkin spice lover or you hate it. And the people that hate it like to be like known that <laughs> they dislike it. So. My husband, Joe, from Three Funny Ladies. All right, I know I think all my plugs are... You get a plug and plug them all. What other <laughs> shows? He, he is definitely one of those people when everyone hops on something really hardcore, for the most part, he will be sort of anti-it or rather not jumping to it right away. I don't think that's all. It depends sort of on the thing, but definitely that is the case with some things. Um, and... And speaking of him, he directed Rocky Horror down at my alma mater and how I essentially know you because mm -hmm. your wife was my classmate down at Wayne State University. So we went to see Rocky Horror last night and it was so good in the beginning. They had like a giant TV out that played like scenes from like Halloween and The Omen and some older things as well. Mm. But it was so fun. It was like, look at me, Damien. It's all for you. <laughs> and they play like themes from like The Exorcist and all of that, like before you got going. And it was a midnight show and it was packed and the crowd was row d in the best way like the way i've never been to like i've done rocky horror sometimes and we've had a little bit of crazy audience but never like a giant auditorium with like 500 people losing their mm -hmm. goddamn minds oh, are that's you a awesome. rocky horror fan i am okay me too but love, i've never love, seen love the it. show like the stage show i've only seen the movie uh and i've been to screenings of the movie and those are fun and I've never been to one of those. I, I got to know it from doing the show. I've been in it twice, directed it once. And I love it so much. Like, I just, I don't know why it never seemed to appeal to me as a youngster. Like, the notion of it just didn't look very fun. But, mm. like, it really speaks to, like, my aesthetic on sexuality, which is I feel that in my mind, the best way to be is very fluid. Like, I don't consider myself bisexual, but I also like to think of, like, not having boundaries and not to be, like, absolutely closed off to anything and to just, like, like mm -hmm. fuck tradition, which I think, in my mind, is a lot of what the show is. It's like, look at what tradition is, getting married and being the perfect little couple, and then, like, they get thrown into this other world where sex and sexuality is such a, like, an open, wild sort of thing and sort of coming to these realizations through it. It's just, I find it so fascinating. And the fact that it's really tapped into the world in such a strong way, when I don't feel the world as a whole feels that way about sexuality. Uh-uh. You know, uh -uh. I feel like tradition and the norm is still the norm. I feel like there have been moments where the world has gotten closer, or at least 
American culture, since that's where we exist, has gotten closer to like what Rocky Horror is talking about. Because like, it's weird, like the movie is a big one for like my parents, I feel, and like their generation when it came out. But like with that hippie generation, there's a little more, you know, they're pushing boundaries and stuff like that. So I think it like clicked then. And then you kind of swing swung back It regressed backwards again. And then like, it's weird how it goes in cycles. And I think like, not that long ago, we were pushing towards another like, oh, it's getting, you know, freer and better again. And now there's a big um, push. <laughs> from dominant culture back against those things as everybody knows and sees in the news all the time. So, yeah. And it does feel in lots of ways, like a younger generation is so fluid and I see it in particular, of course, and this is within like the theater community, like when you have bios and things like that in a, like a program for a show and pronouns are used. And so many youngsters use like he slash they pronouns or she slash they slash he pronouns. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that like gives me such hope for the world. Just that people are so fluid with their sexualities and open to not just being like, oh, I was born with female genitalia. Therefore, I have to be female like that mm-hmm. they can explore everything and 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 be whatever they feel in their soul like i love that so much and i know it's a very small very specific community but you know to be able to start somewhere i just have a little faith for the world in some time but also you know kids are being raised by the uh, adults right now who are such like assholes in the world so absolutely I know, right? And it's something as simple as just it's it's just pronouns, people, because I was going to say some people get so mad about like, what do you mean? I can't say the one I want to say. And it's like, sorry, it's all about you, asshole. Like, (laughs) just it's it's the easiest thing you can do. It's just start to understand these things. I don't know. Yeah, I just love, though, that Rocky Horror, I find it very deceptively simple. Like, on paper, it's just a bunch of fun songs and silly circumstances and costumes. But, Mm -hmm. like, when you really sort of dig into it, there's so much more going on. The fact that it still resonates all this time later. And I love that, like, Barry Boswick and Susan Sarandon seem to, like, really embrace it still. Like, even, I mean, she's the bigger star, let's be honest. But but she doesn't seem to, like, be like, oh, no, I didn't do that movie, you know? Yeah, exactly. Just, and Barry Boswick, yeah, he definitely he leans like travels into around it. to screening still. So Yeah, exactly. He leans into it for sure. So Yeah. So big, big fan of Rocky Horror. Um, even though it's not something I grew up on, it's something I came into late in life and was like, oh fuck, yes, this is this is what I believe in. So mm-hmm. big, big fan. And if you're around in the Michigan area, go see it at Wayne State University. Cool. The Hillberry Gateway. Yeah. So, Jeremy, what is the most exciting piece of horror news this week? Because there is <laughs> I think the most exciting piece of horror news I heard is that Terrifier 3 has a full on like multi minute uh, teaser that's coming with that uh, re-release of Terrifier 2 in theaters. And it's a Christmas movie. That's fucking right. I knew you were going to say it because I was thinking it. And I'm mm-hmm. so fucking excited. Yeah, no wonder they're putting it out in November to set the stage for the idea that like, oh, yeah, the next one's going to be a Christmas movie. So doesn't it just feel like there's such a push for Christmas horror movies right now? I just it, like it really it, does. Why is that? I wonder. I don't know. Like, why do they want to do that so bad? I'm not sure. Maybe I mean, I'm, I'm there for it. I feel like maybe it's a push back because. Christmas feels like it tries to take over everything. 
so like 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 I just walked through Coles the other day, my local Coles. Uh, and I it thought was, you meant like walking on fire. Yeah, walking on fire. No, as in, as in you know the clothing department store. I was I was walking through Coles and they're already playing Christmas music and Halloween hasn't even passed yet while we're recording. So I was oh, like, what is no. happening? So you know, in certain areas like Halloween's an afterthought and Christmas just gobbles up everything. So I think maybe it's a pushback. Like, is it is it the horror culture? Like, you know what? Let's just infiltrate and take Christmas over from the inside and turn it into something that we recognize. Yeah, and it's because I know people have been pushing for Scream 7 to be uh, set at Christmas. I know there's been push for like a, a wintry Friday the 13th. Yeah. Like, there's, it's not there's even been... like Christmas horror. It's like franchises set in a Christmas setting. Yeah, there's been pushes for a Halloween movie. Like they have Michael Myers in a Christmas <gasps> movie instead. Like, I don't there's, know why I never thought of that. That idea has floated around too, where they're like, the next Halloween, or they should do it Halloween where it's not even on Halloween. It's set on like Christmas or closer to those holidays. Oh, fun. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm super, super duper excited about that. And I know, I think it's this coming up weekend, like the weekend this episode drops, that Terrifier 2 will be back in theaters. And I'm trying to figure out if there's anyone I know who should go see it. it yeah because i would i would go see it again just to like fucking sit in the theater and watch someone's face but also i just want to see that fucking teaser slash yeah. trailer as they yeah say. so cool. here for it living for it um i am almost done with house of usher i wanted to finish by today mm. i have two episodes left though it's so good and i want to be the only the only Edgar Allan Poe story I know super well is the Telltale Heart. Like, that's mm. the one I know through and through exactly what it's about. Got Love it. that fucking episode. Uh, so the other ones I don't know, and I know House of Usher on that very base level, like, because I've just watched it the one time with you, and I know it's like a guy and his sort of crazy sister and a suitor who shows up for the night. I think he's a suitor. I can't remember exactly, but he shows up and then someone's in like a casket or whatever, um, which, you know, is sort of the overarching thing about this guy and his sister really. And, mm-hmm. um, but all the other little stories, the black cat on this last one, I watched gold bug or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. And even like the mask of red death and things like that. Even I think I'm about to watch the pit and the pendulum. And I, even that one, I don't really know the story. So, and I kind of want to like know what the story is before the episode, but I'm like, I feel like it will take some of the fun out of it because you were talking about you could guess every episode. Yeah. Knowing, like, which also is part of the fun as well. Yeah. I knew Mask of the Red Death pretty well. So I was like, oh, I know where this is going. Is that the um, one with the club? Where that's they, the club. Yeah. Oh and talk about nightclub terror Mm -hmm. oh my god i had such anxiety in that episode and then like the music was awesome they had that wicked game remix and then they did a closer remix which we just did the play the inheritance and we used joe in particular used this really grungy grimy remix of closer by nine inch nails and they did something similar oh my god that episode was so fucking good but like i was a nightclub terror as we've talked about before it creeps me out in the best way like i love it it's like i just get that anxiety of oh my god i've been there in that giant club and what if something were to fucking happen and mm-hmm. i don't want to say what happens in that episode <laughs> for people who need to still go out and watch it although i feel like i'm the last one to be watching it, mm-hmm. it does feel like it like the world jumped on that show real quick he did like more than midnight mass although midnight mass has its heart course stands and i feel like i gotta go back to it at some point since i sort of bowed out i just i think i find house of usher very um exciting and fun it's a little more glossy it's definitely funnier than any of his other series 
Mm-hmm. I find it very humorous. There's also a, quite a few performers from the Midnight Club, which weren't in other things. And I mm-hmm. really love seeing them in House of Usher. Mm-hmm. I just love how he uses that ensemble sort of vibe. And he's so mm-hmm. much better than Ryan Murphy. Like, Ryan Murphy can just yeah. suck a dick next oh, Mike, to fucking Mike, Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan is doing what Ryan Murphy thinks he is. Yeah. Essentially, or like wants to be. But Ryan Murphy cannot stop his... Uh, he just does it for shock. He goes for shock. Yeah. Like, he tries to throw in stuff that, like, isn't that so fucked up? And, you know, Ryan Murphy... or. uh Mike Flanagan will get there, but it's like naturally part of the story. It always serves the story. He never goes just because, goes to these directions just because, but he might get there if the story is going that direction. So, and like Haunting of Hill House arguably has one giant jump scare. If you watch it, you sort of know what that is. Like it sort of stands out. There's like one in particular late in the season that is like, oh my God, like it like really gets you. And I find House of Usher has had like 10. Yeah, like it's 10 got a lot of moments them. where it is like a giant jump scare. Like it's, yes. it's very effective. But I just, I love how funny it is, which I yeah. think helps with how like awful the people are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's full of black humor. You know, that's another thing, too. Riot, like, the thing with House of Usher is it's full of so many long, and all of his work, Mike Flanagan, these long format stories he does are full of these really long storylines that you have to watch the whole thing to get the whole story. Uh, he's not afraid to, you know, give you the full story and spend time developing it, whereas Ryan Murphy will not develop a storyline to save his life. Like something, some some of the bigger one, most egregious ones I can think of are like uh, American Horror Story Freak Show, uh, where like, look at the Twisty the Clown storyline, where it's like, oh, this could be cool. This is a really interesting thing. And it lasts, what, like two episodes? Sorry, people, spoilers. But like, that's what he does is he introduces something interesting. And you're like, oh, cool. Like, I can't wait to see how this plays out. Oh, it's already done after one episode and it's not satisfying. Like, he he's like, uh, cannot stick to one thing and develop it. Yeah, I wish that it was a little bit better in that regard. Because, yeah, I... You so many times things would wrap up in a few episodes, and you're like, "But wait, we still have like five episodes left. Like, what's going to happen here? Yeah, what the fuck? Who and cares like, now? Oh, well, let's bring in something new. And yeah, now here's a new storyline with different characters, and you're like, "This that is not like what the setup was for this." So that's always the problem with Ryan Murphy's stuff, I think. Yeah, so I just I love Mike Flanagan so much. I love what he's done was sort of taking a well-known property. I know I talk about all the time, but it's like my favorite kind of remake to take Mm -hmm. a property and really just do something unique and contemporary with it, which he's done with Turn of the Screw and um, uh, here with a a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe stuff and with The Haunting of Hill House and Mm -hmm. Midnight Mass is like kind of totally original sort of thing. Um, It's, you know, his own thing. But I just, I I love that so much. I also like in House Busher, uh, you have the episode names that kind of give you away, like one is named Mask of the Red Death, one's named Pit and the Pendulum. So you're like, OK, I know those stories, so I know they're the framework for those. But actually buried throughout are even storylines and references to even more Edgar Allan Poe stories. And uh, I if, think real life things. I was reading like like the story yeah. of their mother is sort of like what happened with his mom. I mean, she probably didn't come back from the dead, but like just like a very like that there's yes. all and these some sort real- of Easter eggs in there. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and then it's on Easter eggs of like real people and contemporaries to Edgar Allan Poe and historical figures and things like that. So it's like, wow, he really went, he went ham with the uh, Poe research for this. So it's really cool. 
Yeah, I'm really excited to finish it and a see where it's all going because it's it's has a lot. It's it's not frustrating in like trying to figure it out. It's just mm-hmm. like, ooh, what's going to happen and what does this all mean? But it, I am excited to like watch some YouTube videos that give me all those Easter eggs and dive into all the post mm-hmm. stuff. Um. So yeah, can't wait to finish. It. Overall, I know you were like not crazy about like some of the characters, or rather, right? That was you that was talking about that. Like you didn't even watch Succession. So like, did that change for you? That was like halfway through the season. You said that. Yeah, the ending. Like by the time it all wraps up, I felt a lot better about it because I okay. like I like where everything finally goes. Um, but that was always my hard part. I'm like, these people are so despicable. Like I'm having a hard time like <laughs> sticking with it now. Um, because I don't like. That's the thing. Like, I do not mind watching shows or stories about awful people, but usually there's some kind of in like um, there's some sort of motivation that I'm like, well, I can understand that. Like, you know, the idea of the antihero, like you're the, the big examples I can think of are like Walter White and Breaking Bad, where you're like, he does all this awful stuff, but he's doing it you know, for his family, ostensibly. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, there's a connection there. I can sort of understand, like, what lengths would you go to uh, to, you know, make your family secure or, you know, things like motivations like that. I can go with characters when there's a relatable motivation for why they're doing horrible things. Um, but in this show, you know, they're just rich, awful people. So it's, like, hard to connect to a lot of them uh, initially for me. So that's where I was like, oh, okay. I guess I'm just waiting for you to get punished. That's what I'm waiting for. So, yeah, I I feel like they could have. And I mean, I still have two episodes left, so maybe it will lean hard into this in those episodes. But I feel from the get go, they could have leaned more into the granddaughter, who is that mm-hmm. little girl from Doctor Sleep, who's so fucking good. Yeah, because she's like the one character you're kind of like, oh, this person is not a piece of shit. And I yeah. just feel like early on, the, the, it, it would have been nice to establish her a little bit more as like someone we get to know more of. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's gonna definitely be something more with her as we get to these final episodes. But I just, I feel like that could have helped a little bit. But like, I'm always surprised. I didn't like, not this most recent season of Slasher, but the one before is a similar sort of story. All these like richy, bitchy people that mm-hmm. are all sort of fighting for something. And I was like, ugh, I don't care about that. But I gave it an episode and I'm like, oh, this is fucking fun. And it ended up being like my favorite season of Slasher, which I was totally surprised by. So I guess maybe I do kind of like that as much as I didn't think I I did. (laughs) did, I think I do like, so I think I need to give Succession a try because I've never watched it for that very reason. There you go. And I, and I know he's been acting for a long time. He like he never stopped and he's done lots of work, but he, he's always Elliot to me. So every time Henry Thomas is around, I'm always like, what would E.T. think, Henry? What are you doing? <laughs> I always think of that that audition video they have out there of him auditioning for E.T. Have you ever seen it? And he's no, like, I haven't. Oh, my God. It is. I love there's also a video of some little boy from some Netflix movie that they show his audition tape and then his actual scene. And it's like, it's similar to the Henry Thomas one where he's just like in tears and just like, oh my, you're like, oh my God, you're so motherfucking good. I'll send it yeah. to you. It's really, really fucking awesome. good. Yeah, he's a, he's a great, I mean, Henry Thomas, I think is an undersung, like a uh, uh, great actor. Like he's, he's phenomenal. So good. So good. Yeah. And people are always just like, oh, the kid from E.T. Like, <laughs> you're like, oh, he's done so much stuff and he's really good. But uh, I feel like he doesn't get talked about enough. True. 
Jeremy, we have some teragrams. Let's get to them. I just mailed, emailed you one. <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> so I'm going to read mine first. It's a, it's a shorty but a goody from goth botanist Lauren, who writes, cool. Tess wanted to experience the Evil Dead franchise. I decided to show her Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, since the beginning is an abridged version of Evil Dead and the end leads into Army of Darkness. Her review, in her words, I thought the beginning was cheesy and I didn't really like it, but as it went on, it got better, and that guy who got stabbed in the chest deserved it. <laughs> Thank you, Tess. And... Lauren, I saw some little kids at Affirmations, the queer community center where our theater is, and they were having a Halloween party like the youth program. And there was a girl who I, or I'm sorry, there was a young teenager who was wearing sort of like the straps, like the ash, like leather sort of straps. And I, I couldn't, like, it wasn't a straight up ash costume, but I didn't know if it was inspired by. And I was like, are you Ash from the Evil Dead? And she, they were like, I don't know what that is. And I said, oh my God, do you like scary movies? And they were like, yes. And I was like, you must go watch the Evil Dead movies then. I'm like, yeah. did I just inspire a young a youngster to get into <laughs> the Evil Dead? I hope so. I hope someday I hope I'll run so. into them again. And they will say, thank you. And dear, Evil dear, yeah, your Elder. Evil Dead's <laughs> hardcore, so, you know, that's going to change your life, I think, watching Evil Dead for any youngster, because it did yep. me, warped my brain seeing the first one for the first time, so and it's I a whole other level. I said, it also has very local ties, so that's kind of fun, too, so I said, yeah. go watch them. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. thanks, Lauren. All right, uh, and my uh, telegram is from uh, from Matthew. Uh, and the subject is William Castle. Hello, fellas. So I was a week late listening to your Skinamarink the Tingler episode. I had a trip coming up and wanted both of you to keep me company on my flight. It was a great episode to listen to on a long flight. You both mentioned having a movie made about a theater gimmick gone wrong, and I was wondering if either of you have ever seen the film Matinee starring John Goodman. Goodman plays a director not unlike William Castle and decides to have the ultimate gimmick during an Atomic Age film called Mant, which is about a half man, half ant. Uh, it's really fun. I'd like to hear what both of you have to say about the film. John Waters is a huge William Castle fan. It actually inspired him to do the Odorama card for Polyester. He talked about seeing The Tingler in a few different theaters as a kid. Uh, he said that when it came to his local theater, he arrived early because only certain seats had buzzers on it, and he had to sit in a seat with a buzzer on it. <laughs> I have a William Castle connection. In the early 2000s, the Detroit Film Theater at the Detroit Institute of Arts had a William Castle triple feature, <gasps> each with the original gimmick. Homicidal with a nurse on duty and the fright break. If you were too scared to see the conclusion of the film, you could go to the nurse in Coward's Corner. I read that if somebody did a recording did a recording would play that said look at the coward but nobody at my show showing did then 13 ghosts with a ghost viewer if you were too scared to see the ghosts you could make them disappear from the screen but you also had to use it to see the ghost uh, and the showstopper as they referred to was the house on haunted hill and they lifted the skeleton in front of the screen it was a lot of fun and we were a great audience hope y'all had a great halloween matthew Oh my God, Matthew, thank you. And I had no idea. And that's right in our backyard, Jeremy. Yeah. And uh, Matinee is a great flick. I've seen Matinee. I love it. Yeah. I saw it when I was young. I, I feel like I was in high school or some shit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I need to rewatch it because I thought about it after we watched Popcorn 
because yeah. like it just ha- there's a similar vibe and i feel like they came out sort of ish around the same time but yeah i need to rewatch matinee especially after talking about william castle in that episode mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. But yeah, oh my God, how cool. And the DIA, I've seen, I think I've only seen a couple of movies there and a couple of plays in that that space. But that would have been so cool. And of course they did something like that. That's just like so fucking cool. Yeah, they, they play a lot of old classics too, like throughout the throughout the often in the summer and the fall, I know. So I gotta I gotta check that out sometime, see what they're playing. Yeah. I always forget to look into it. I know that sometimes during Oscar season they'll play the animated shorts. Mm-hmm. It's like where they will will do them all. So yeah, it's so interesting looking at the matinee cast. There's just not many names that I know. Like Kelly Martin is like the only other name really besides John Goodman who Kelly was in ER and Life Goes On. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's sort of fascinating. And it's Joe Dante, of course, wrote and directed Matinee. So. And that is so appropriate. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. All right, awesome. Well, thank you, Matthew. And I will, def- and I, that may also make sense about John Waters, like 100%. Yeah. I just John, I never like, quite put it together. But John yeah. Waters is like the weird, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but he's like the punk rock crazy version of all these old gimmicks and things like he's he's taken so much old Hollywood and morphed it into his like bizarro world version, which is just amazing. Yes. Love, and like I love really John Waters infusing a lot of sexuality and yeah, and like, like punk rock underground. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, John Waters is great. I need to watch more. I've only seen like a handful of his movies uh, and his body of work is like much bigger than I've actually exposed myself to. So and I can't remember. Are you a serial mom fan? Uh, I don't remember because that's the one where I saw that a long time ago as a youngster. And I don't remember much about it other than that. It was funny. uh, And I saw it before I really knew who John Waters was. So, you know, I want to go back and rewatch that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for writing in. You too, dear listener, can write in scaringasharing at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram, scaringasharing. All, all one word. That's right. Jeremy, should we get to our sharing? Yeah, let's share those scares. All right. So if you've never listened before, Jeremy and I traditionally like to share a scary movie with the other person that they have not seen before. Then we go away, we watch them, we come back, and we talk about them. Mm-hmm. And I go first this week, and even though it's a week late, I'm giving you Hell House LLC. Cool. Uh, I kind of now know what this is about because we've like discussed it a couple of times, and I was confusing it with like other uh, movies. I think uh, I know it's like a found footage about a haunted house, uh, like a, either it's an attraction haunted house uh, or it is like an actual like haunted house people are investigating. But I know. It's found footage, something goes wrong, uh, hilarity ensues. <laughs> That's right. Cool. And if, I would recommend yourself since, well, well, we'll be recording like pretty much before Halloween or uh, the day after Halloween. So day after. chances are you'll watch this leading up to Halloween. Yeah. Which is absolutely. why I still felt appropriate to give it to you. <laughs> cool. Uh, and I wanted to, yeah, in, in the thought that we're going to be easing out of the Halloween season, um, I'm going to go with something kind of fun, short and a classic. Uh and I'm going to go with Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein for oh you. Oh, my God. Fun. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think my husband's a big fan of this. I know we've talked about it. The only things I know of it 
are, I believe it has clips in Terra in the Isles. I think there's some moments that appear in this. I know that there's a lot of, and yeah, Joe was talking to me also about like a movie that's not called Abbott and Costello something, but something with ghosts or something yeah. with ghosts. Yeah, there's in. another one where it is Abbott and Costello, uh, but it was like, I can't remember, like Boo something or in the name. Yeah. It's about it's about a haunted house. And, and then they met a bunch of other monsters because there's meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And then there's meet the invisible man, meet the mummy. So they did a bunch of those. So, yeah, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but somehow they are going to, Frankenstein will be integrated into their world or they'll be integrated into his world and hilarity will ensue. So <laughs> there you go. I'm really excited. I imagine a little girl's not going to get killed in this one, but we'll find out. Yeah, you'll find out. That's my maybe, big. Um, maybe my big... it'll be uh, Lou Costello that gets killed. You don't know. <laughs> You're right. I don't know, but I'm <laughs> so, going to find out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's watch him and talk about him. Hell yeah. Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. And we're back. Yes, we are. If you've never joined us before, hi. And this is the part of the show where Jeremy and I talk about the films that we share with each other. The scares, if you will. This Because scaring is sharing, you know? And we're the scare boys, so. That's right. Yeah, scare, scare, scare. So if you want to hear about Hell Hell's, Hell Hell's LLC, we'll talk about that now. And if you want to hear about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, then look in the podcast notes and jump right on over to that. Okay? Okay. Okay. All right, so Hell House LLC uh, on Letterboxd, where you can find us and follow us, please go to our link tree on our Instagram page. Uh, there is no tagline, but if I go to IMDb, the tagline is New York Scariest Haunted House Tour. Okay, that doesn't quite work for me. And the description on Letterboxd is... Five years after an unexplained malfunction causes the death of 15 tour goers and staff on the opening night of a Halloween haunted house tour, a documentary crew travels back to the scene of the tragedy to find out what really happened. And this is directed by Stephen Cognetti from 2015. Jeremy Matthew Rusk. (laughs) What's your middle name? Lauren. Lauren? Lauren. Yep. Jeremy Lauren Rusk. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on this movie? Uh, Well, first off, I thought it was interesting on Letterboxd. This is where I like getting into and pointing out like the weirdness on Letterboxd is they have Hell House LLC, but Hell House LLC, the director's cut as two separate entries, which I've never seen them do for any other movie that I know has a director's cut. So I think that's like weird that they have those as separate but not say like nightbreed nightbreed is only the one entry yes. on there you can't look up like nightbreed the director's cut or uh blade runner the final cut or something like that so did you watch the director's cut i just think that's weird i did not i watched oh, the I original version okay um so because i don't know I did, the difference but that's the one i watched yeah on, that's the um, kind of person sure. i am is if it's my first time watching i'm gonna watch the original intended release version first i may go back and revisit the director's cut anyway that's the version i watched i think there's like five to ten minutes of extra footage something like that in the director's cut um but uh it was okay it was not the 
you like I feel like this movie when it came out had a lot of hate or like if not hate like a lot more indifference initially because I think it came out at the you know a few years ago was sort of like found footage was just such a like you just didn't do it anymore because it had become like a joke like nobody people were sick of found footage I think enough time has now passed we're in the 2020s people now people are just like it's just another subgenre whatever that people make found footage movies like i think the the overreaction has dissipated at this point to found footage it's just another type of horror movie but um i thought it was pretty well done for what i'm assuming was like low budget as hell um it did feel like initially i was like ooh i don't like these characters cuz it had sort of a it's got kind of a fratty sense of humor that I feel like is a leftover from the, you know, late, the early 2000s, still holding on into the 20 teens where, uh, I don't know, there was just some, you know, the, the one character that's like, I'm just here to get laid. It just felt like he was not the right type of character to insert into this story. Like, it felt like a weird, like, what year is this? Like, does anyone think this guy is funny? Like, I know he's there to be like, the levity at first but it's like does anyone think this character is actually funny he just seems annoying um but as as things progress i like the sort of like uh journey they were trying to take you on with this yeah i mean i have notes that say like uh the acting and uh these characters yeah (laughs) which is what stood out to me this time like i just did not care about them and therefore couldn't care much about the movie and it's weird like i i mean of course i have to compare it to blair witch right mm-hmm. i just go back to blair witch and i'm like it's not that like those are people they kind of are people i would have hung out with in college like mm-hmm. the blair witch crew especially heather which is annoying as you may find her she's like so real to me like i just i'm like oh my god i know that girl through and through but i just hear uh, i just could never fully buy into these people Mm-hmm. like sure i thought some of the guys were hot like you know which is always somewhat helpful but like i didn't i just and in particular so if you've never seen this movie before the the briefest of rundown there is this old building which was a hotel yeah and it like crazy things that happened there there's like a pentagram in like the basement there's the guy who owned it hung himself and so like satanic things had happened or whatever and then there's this group who has this company called Hell House LLC, trademark, or roll credits, whatever. And they do haunted houses all over the place. And they come in to do their newest one at this location. And so it's all like they come in, the, the house is already all gross anyway. And they're just like, okay, well, this is perfect. So, but like at the start of the, the thing, we discover that them the, their venture of turning this place into a haunted house turned disastrous on its opening night and some people died and you see this what i find the most effective footage there's like a youtube video of someone Mm -hmm. like going through the haunted house waiting in line and then going through and all hell breaking loose that is the most effective footage to me yeah i just think it feels real and it feels like something you could watch on youtube Mm mm-hmm and I, I think that that is the best of this movie. And then there's like a handful, maybe a couple handfuls of like jump scares, some of which are effective, like definitely got me if you're a fan or if you like or if you creepy clowns scare the shit out of you. This is a good movie for you because there's a creepy clown mask that's very effective. 
Um, but yeah, I just, I, I remember liking it fine enough the first time, but like over the years, people talk about how good this movie is. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, you haven't seen it. Let's go to it. And, you know, I watched it the day before Halloween. So that was fun since it does take place on Halloween. But yeah, I just couldn't with these people. And it's then it's just boring for the longest time. Yeah, a lot. And that's the thing. Like a lot of the. Like the characters and the way it was like plotted out, it feels like. I wonder when the script was originally written or conceived because it feels like it fits more into the 20 aughts, you know, like this should have come out in like 2005 or something like that. And it would have been it would have seemed to have fit more into what was going on in horror at that time. Uh, But the fact that this came out in like 2015, I feel like we were just in a things were moving in a different place in the genre and different stuff was happening. So this feels like a weird anomaly to have come out as late as it did like it feels like it's an older movie than that um just based on like like we said the way the characters are written and like what they're up to uh and uh i don't know there's a twist that i feel like it's this is one of those cases where the twist that comes up it it's not like horrible like it doesn't help the movie though like it could just no. not be there and it has zero impact on like the resolution of the movie, which is kind of weird to think about. So yeah, there's some really good scares with the, like they have this like mannequin with a clown mask that there's some really good effective scenes where it's just creepy. Then I think there's a really creepy, there's two creepy scenes with the hottest guy in like his bedroom, like in bed, there's like two effective scenes. One is just like eerie. And -hmm. then the other one is like jump scary and creepy. And I think those work well. Yeah, they work like all the jump scare creepy scenes work like perfectly. It's like their attempts at. I think the movie gets bogged down when it's trying to build mythos because there's way too many asides of like the characters like, hey, I was reading this news article and I heard, you know, and they like throw in a bunch of story and it's like eh, it's a, I, I think it's better to just let it um, just let it play out, like let the events play out as they're happening to them. And they should have relied more on the talking heads because this is supposed to be like a fake documentary after the fact, like about this footage where they're like, yeah, and there's this like the 911 call, I think is really creepy that they have like stuff like that, where um, they're, they're like, well, this is what the eyewitness and it reminds me a little bit of Blair Witch, where there's like scenes in Blair Witch where people are like, well, here's the story this person told, and they just tell you this creepy story, and it has elements that don't make any sense, but that just heightens the like uh, the uncanniness that you know it, it heightens your anxiety to hear like because um, I think in the nine one one call somebody says something about like someone coming out of a wall or something like that, uh, it, you know, and it sounds like some sort of supernatural thing, but I'm glad they didn't try to show anything like that. They just let your mind, you know. Uh, wonder what the hell that sounds creepy and fill in the like eerie blanks. Yeah, I do believe that the documentary stuff works better than the footage of the group who mm-hmm. came the Hell House LLC crew. Because also, I like they try to sort of set up why they're filming everything. They're like, so that when we do this again, we have footage of how we all did it. And I'm just like, no. 
Yeah. Uh, that's that's what's more tired than anything is the like, why is everything being filmed? Which is why I'm like, if this movie had been done c- completely with a bunch of different people's YouTube videos yeah. of their experience at this place where all the shit went down, I'm like, that would be a fucking great movie. Yes. Like, get a bunch of different filmmakers to create something all around like this. Like, I love that sort of idea. Mm-hmm. But here, so many times where, like, the, the video camera is still going and why you're turning the video camera in the middle of the night. Because, again, going back to the, the, like, the best of it all, Blair Witch makes so much sense. They go out in the woods to film this. They're like, we're going to go out there to film these things. And it just feels natural. Like, they're doing it for, like, a, a school assignment or what the fuck ever. They're, like, creating this project. Here, they're not there to film stuff. They're there to do a haunted house. Yeah. So, like, the fact that they're always filming just gets yeah. obnoxious. Well, like, why do they have cameras all the time? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and why would you turn it on in the middle of the night to do a confessional to it? Uh, uh, totally. Totally. Like, that makes no just, sense. It's why Deadstream works so well. Yeah, like, because he's like, I'm doing this live stream and he sets up cameras all over the place, which it works great for getting those different angles. You're not mm-hmm. coming from the same camera the whole time. It it worked like that's where we have to move in regards to found footage is taking it to a level where it doesn't feel so phony to always be walking around filming, even though we do that a lot now. But we turn our cameras on when something is happening, yes. not when you're just walking around, ta- like being boring. <laughs> Yeah, and even Blair Witch, like, for as much as, you know, there are haters out there that don't like it, but it it explained everything. Because like you said, they are documentarians making a documentary. That's why they're filming in the woods. And then the reason they keep turning the cameras on in the woods is because shit keeps happening. Like, it's explained in the movie where in the middle of the night they turn the camera on because they're like, we just heard noises out there. Let's document this and try and get get it on film. So it's like, it's self-explanatory. But yeah, this is like... You wouldn't do that. What you would do is just draw a blueprint and then repeat that blueprint every time. Like you don't film it. That doesn't make any sense. You just write down what you did and then repeat that in the future. I think I'd even buy it if like they turn on the camera and they're like, all right, we're going to film us setting up this scare. So yeah. that we like, like that, but they're even just, that they they're, don't do that. It's not like that. They're just always filming, which it's like, why? And you don't mm-hmm. want to waste all that, that space on your drive and whatever, blah, blah. But yeah, so that is where it really bogs itself down. I think I have seen two and I think I tried to watch three and it wasn't very good. So I didn't finish it. But I've been hearing really good stuff about the fourth one, which just came out on the 30th of October on Shutter. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm hearing, too. Everyone's like, oh, four is so much better than uh, from what I'm seeing. Two and three were just not received very well. Um, and four is getting like rave reviews, uh, so to yeah. say, at least for this series. So, yeah, I definitely want to check the rest out. I had no, no plans to watch it. So now I'm like, OK, plus you don't. I think it is sort of a prequel, but also I think it's just some similar things. So, like, I don't think you have to have watched any of them, but I'm sure it probably helps. It yeah, looks what like I was, the clown mask is a part of it. What I was reading was that in the fourth one too, there's a change of like, it's a different location. Like all the other movies are about the same hotel. And I think what I was seeing was a lot of people were like, again, they're getting bogged down and over explaining the mythos. Like each movie is trying to explain yes. more and more this place. And that's not necessarily like what people care about (laughs) so i think everyone's like no it was a smart move for them to change like keep the same concept but change location and do something new so 
It's also interesting that the director, Stephen Cognetti, this is the only, he's only directed Hell House movies. Like, yeah. I'm like, why haven't you been given something else? Why don't you, like, I'm not saying he doesn't want to do something else. I don't know. I don't know his life, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's so bizarre that he's not done anything else. And these are all like pretty indie, right? Like, I think he's still got like creative control over the whole thing. Uh, so this is just his, this is his jam, I guess, making the Hell House universe. But special shout out to Adam Schneider, who's the cute ginger in this. I love him. He plays Mac. And I just, oh, no, wait, he plays Andrew. Wait, I'm getting the names confused. Andrew McNamara is played by Adam. I got the name. I think they may called him Mac at some point. I swear mm-hmm. they did, because I wrote that down. But mm. I love him. And then there's a really hot guy. Um Paul, whose name is Gore Abrams. What a great first name, Gore. Gore. Especially if you're in a horror film. Yeah. But yeah, just overall, aside from cute boys and some effective jump scares and one good YouTube video, which plays twice, mind you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, and unless that wasn't in your, that, that was just the director's cut, which sure, I get it. Like, you see it again towards the end once you know everything leading up to it, but I, I don't think I needed it again. Yeah. Yeah, no, like I understood they played it again because this time you now understand what's happening in the video because they kind of explain like the events at this point. And so the YouTube video now is recontextualized for you as the viewer. So you're like, oh, that's that person fleeing, you know, this thing doing that. And then these people are doing this you like it all makes sense at that point um but yeah i don't know if it was necessary like to, to spell it out that way you could have left it for people to go back and rewatch and understand but yeah sure there are worse found footage films out there but you go on letterbox and people are jerking off all over this film yeah this one's uh pretty that that was the thing that i think is weird like it depends on the little community you're in where like letterbox loves this movie Uh, But I seem to remember when it came out, like the wider, like the not online on a dedicated, uh, you know, social media site for film. I feel like the wider world was kind of like meh about it when it originally came out. Like it didn't I don't remember it getting like terrible reviews, but I don't remember it being like talked up all that much. Um, I may be mistaken, but also this is another one that I'm like, I feel like I maybe tried to watch this movie once in the past because a couple scenes seemed familiar so i'm like okay i think i've seen part of this or like tried to watch it years ago and just never uh never finished it or came back to it as i did with many movies so who knows Uh uh-huh well here you go yep here we go so yeah anything else to say on the matter no i think that's it all right what kind of liquid death is that mango this is rest in peach and it is Uh the uh iced tea it's peach iced tea is it like real sweet and does it have sugar in it? Mm, it's sweet. Or is it like mm. a zero calorie sort of thing? Let's see. Do, 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 do. Oh, it has sugar. Okay. Oh, it has sugar. It's got sugar. It's got six grams. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, all right. So out of uh, five dreary eyed, creepy clown masks, how many do you give? Hell House, LLC. Um, I was going to go higher, 
But now after talking about it and I watched this like days ago, (laughs) uh, letting it sink in, I don't think I'm as enthusiastic about it as when I was initially watching it. So I'm going to give it a solid three. Oh, I'm going to give it two and a half. Whoa. Which means we have a. Split scream. Split scream. Yep. Wow. We haven't had one of those. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I'm just not. um, I don't like it enough to give it a three. I will never watch this again. I oh, will no. never watch this. Again. I will never watch this again. But I will watch part four and I will report back. Okay. Okay. That sounds fun. Well, moving on to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Or as it's recorded on Letterboxd, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Frankenstein, because that's yes. the title. That's the title that appears on screen. But I think officially this movie is called Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Like everywhere I've ever seen it written, that's how they refer to it. Much like people debate, like, uh, you know, they want to argue that uh, Army of Darkness should be referred to as Bruce Campbell versus Army of Darkness, because that's how the title screen appears in that movie when you watch it. It goes, Bruce Campbell versus Army of Darkness. Um, But I think that's just a fun thing they're doing with the credits, not actually the title, but whatever. Anyway, this movie's from 1948, and the tagline on Letterboxd is, More howls than you can shake a shiver at. (laughs) and the description is two hapless freight handlers find themselves encountering dracula the frankenstein monster and the wolfman boom that is it that's the description so So, let me say some of my musings first of all i find the title odd and not just out of the bud abbott and lou costello section (laughs) Uh but also why is it meets frankenstein i know why isn't it meets the monsters or meets classic like why why is that also if you want to get technical they don't meet frankenstein because dr frankenstein's <laughs> not in this movie they just meet oh, the monster the so. monster yeah so and like it should even be like monster mash with abbott and costello or something like that apparently the original working title was the brain of frankenstein huh yeah, yeah. okay so it's just it's so odd that it really is about the wolfman dracula and frankenstein and it just says frankenstein i find that just i don't know why that is just like beyond wild to me Mm -hmm. and i don't know how that titling was settled on uh because like i said it was originally just gonna be titled the brain of frankenstein it was supposed to follow up like uh there was house of frankenstein house of dracula like these monster mash movies that came before it but they threw in you know uh abbott and costello and changed directions with it so so this is my first Abbott and Costello film. Oh, and I know Abbott and Co- I realized this after the fact. I know them because I did Who's on First when I was in high school. Who like, hasn't? In like a talent show. And we like fucking went far. Like we we won locally. We won the next round. And then we went to like the state finals. And I I don't know. I think we came in like third or something like that. But like I, I, I'm surely watched them, although YouTube wasn't like a thing then. So I don't even know if I did. I may mm-hmm. not have like until okay. later. But like I at least am familiar with who's on first, which yeah. is you know a, what I think they're probably known best for. And after that, probably this movie, right? This is the yes. first thing that comes up. This letterbox when you type in Abbott. I would argue nowadays this is their most beloved movie. 
like that's period. so wild i think it's this one also joe to- joe watched it with me and he told me that he used to watch Abbott Costello's on Sunday mornings, they would play them on TV and he would like say he was sick. So he didn't have to go to church so he could watch them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes I'd also play Shirley Temple instead. And he would watch Heidi. And I just love that story so much. Uh, so, so he's real familiar with them. Here's the thing. I enjoy it, but there's the levels of me not loving it, which mm-hmm. are, I'm not, I didn't grow up with Abbott and Costello. I don't have any sort of history with them. I'm not as familiar with them as like a routine and like Mm -hmm. characters. And then also on top of that, I don't love classic monsters. You know, I'm, I'm now familiar with them uh, finally, you know, in these last like five years or so, but none of them are, am I like, oh my God, I fucking love this movie. I love these classic monsters. Mm Mm-hmm. All of that aside, I found it very enjoyable. I think that it's the such a fun idea. I'm like, oh my god! Like now, would it be like Jay and Silent Bob meet like Pinhead, mm-hmm. and then like Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees are in there? Like that, the idea of that is ludicrous. <laughs> yes, and it's like it's like they had uh, the movie that never happened where it was going to be Cheech and Chong meet Jason. Oh wow! Okay, that was originally an idea for a Friday the Thirteenth in the eighties, which I'm like, why didn't they do that? That would have been great. <laughs> it's just like I feel like that is never going to happen now. Yeah, like I feel like the closest it came is like the Monster Squad, which wasn't yes. a well-known property meeting the monsters, but rather some kids. But still, it's the same. It's the same monsters. Yeah, this movie so heavily inspired Monster Squad too. Because Monster Squad is full of humor, uh, it, like the same style of humor that uh, this movie has. So, And another thing I love about this movie are the transformations. Because am I right? I feel like I looked this up when we watched The Wolfman, mm-hmm. that this is the first time you see The Wolfman transform? Yes, this is where they actually like did the full-on... Um... A couple of times. Does that happen twice? Yes, yeah, they do it two times, I think, where they do the uh, time elapse makeup. Yes. Yep. Which is so cool. But the 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 grand crown jewel is Dracula transforming into the bat. Yes. Which is so cool. It's like animation mixed with like live action and it looks so cool. Yeah. I love that effect. Yep. And um your fun fact is this is the second and final time that Bella Lugosi played Dracula on film. Okay. So he's like so famous for the character, but he literally only did it twice. The original Dracula and then this. Uh, he played a bunch of other vampires, uh, often based on Dracula, but these are the only two times he like literally played Dracula. So, And who played the first Frankenstein? Was it Lon Chaney? Uh, uh, the, the like Frankenstein in Frankenstein. Monster. In Frankenstein, yeah, in the monster, it was, yes. it was uh, Boris Karloff. Got it. Okay, because yep. I was like, that's not the same guy, but I couldn't remember. I knew it was one of the biggies. Yeah, it was uh, originally Boris Karloff, uh, then Lon Chaney did a movie as the monster. Bella Lugosi did a movie as the monster. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, and in this movie, great name, it's the guy's actual name, Glenn Strange played the monster. Uh, and he had played, this was his third time playing the monster. Uh, he was a uh, he was a stunt guy, so he did it in um, I think House of Frankenstein first, uh, then House of Dracula, then this movie. So, and he had kind of fallen into he was uh, the other actors liked working with him as the monster. From what I've read, is he was a, a very gregarious guy, apparently. So, 
Also, the title sequence, like the cartoon, is so fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, uh, little, little, I mean, they get Lon Chaney back. Lon Chaney Jr. reprises the Wolfman, who is the only actor that played, the, he played the Wolfman in all of the Wolfman's appearances in okay. uh, Universal. So, He's so like, good. That, that was his character, so he owned it. Um, and at the, uh, at the tail end there, mild spoilers, but whatever, it's just a gag, is you have Vincent Price's voice as the Invisible Man uh, for a cameo, and he had played the Invisible Man in the movie The Invisible Man Returns, so another Universal Monster cameo there. So, Do they, in fact, meet the Invisible Man? They do later. Okay. But it's not, uh, it's not one of the legacy, like, actors to have ever played the character before. It's like an entirely new story and plot with a new character. There's lots of great gags in this. I think in the beginning when they're in like their little shipping store, like when mm-hmm. he's on top of that crate, like I'm like, how do they do that? Like he's like attached to the crate and it's like weaving like back and forth. It looks so cool. Mm-hmm. And then also I love the gag with the revolving wall. It is so funny. Yeah, that's great. There's a lot of great one-liners in here. When um, what are your faves? My favorite. One of my favorites is he's on the phone with uh, Lon Chaney, uh, who is well. He's mistaking him for Mister McDougal, whose <laughs> packages they're supposed to be shipping. Right. Uh, so he hangs up with him, and then the real he's calling from London, and then the real uh, Mister McDougal is uh, at the counter. Uh, and he's like, I'm Mr. McDougal. And it's like, how'd you get it? I was just on the phone with you. How'd you get here so fast? They shoot you out of a cannon, uh, which I think is a great, great little line there because Lou Costello is just so many of those quick bits. Um, and just the snarkiness when it's like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? Answer the phone or uh, get the bell? Do both. both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he's just. <laughs> yeah, he is so funny. Yeah, I had no idea going into this. I mean, in hindsight, with who's on first, I should have known, but I didn't think of that until after. Mm-hmm. But Joe was sort of explaining to me because, yeah, he just having grown up with them, he just found it so just delightful. I could just tell. Yeah, um, I also like that both of the women here are into the short chubby guy. Granted, at least one of them is for sort of ulterior motives, but yeah, but I I like that that like the 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 straight guy who is you know arguably more handsome like mm-hmm. he's not getting the, the girls in this one and i think yep. that that's a if fun you can't figure out what he's like i just wanted to see you in the light and see what i'm missing here you know when he's <laughs> got him by the window or what's the what's the one line where bud abbott's like well why don't you look in the mirror sometime and he's like why would i want to hurt my own feelings <laughs> <laughs> and how did how did they all enjoy making this film it sounds like it was kind of a mess because uh, uh, I, I started reading into this. Like, it's funny. My history with this movie, like this movie's become a comfort movie for me. Like, I've seen it a bunch of times now and I'll just throw it on uh, even as background because I'm so familiar with it at this point that it's uh, it's always a pleasure every time. But uh, and especially having grown up with not only the monsters, but my parents were like really into uh Abbott and Costello. So okay. I uh, I was familiar with them in a bunch of their movies. Um, funny enough, I hadn't seen this one until I was like in college, I think. Like this one just flew under That's the shocking. radar. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. I hadn't seen it until like eventually somebody was like, it's the funniest movie. Watch it. And I watched it in college and was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the making of it, like I said, it started as a 
The script was originally called The Brain of Frankenstein. I think it was not supposed to star Abbott and Costello, but they got brought in. Like this came at a time where Universal was in a weird place. They had like merged with uh, international pictures to become Universal International, uh, like technically a new studio. Um, bunch of like Lon Chaney used to be on contract at uh, Universal and he had just been let go. So he wasn't doing movies anymore at the time this was made. Um, Abbott and Costello were on the verge of breaking up, apparently, when this movie was made because they were uh, having a rough go of it with each other. Um, Lou Costello read the script and said that his uh, his uh, his 12 year old daughter could have written something better. Uh, <laughs> wow. So he was not into it, but they got him involved by uh, promising him uh, like double the salary or whatever. Like they had to, they had to get him a lot of money uh, to get him involved. Um, and yeah, this this whole thing was done kind of as a uh, uh, a gambit, I think, to like get people interested in Universal Pictures again. So they were like, "All right, Abbott and Costello were big." hits for us but they were kind of waning let's get them in there let's do the monsters that hadn't been a hit in a minute um but we're gonna go back and bring back they had to get lon cheney was doing of mice and men on stage at this point so they had to bring him back from lure him away from broadway back onto the film world and uh uh bella lugosi had also drifted away from uh studio films so this was like a and I think this might have been his last like major studio movie before just kind of slipping into that, you know, eventually where he'd be working with Ed Wood <laughs> towards the end of his life. Um, so they they brought them back in to try and give it some legitimacy. And uh, yeah, the rest of it uh, from there was just apparently hijinks. I know that apparently uh, Lou Costello and uh, Glenn Strange, who played the monster, got along very well. Uh, and in fact, there's a there's a flub that's still in the movie. Um, the scene where he sits on the lap of the monster, uh, uh-huh. Luke Costello, he sits on the monster's lap and then realizes the hand. He's, he's sitting on the monster. Uh, Glenn Strange breaks during that. You can see him. If you watch his face, he breaks during that whole routine uh, and they left it in because that was the only usable take they had because apparently he could not keep it together to do that scene that is awesome he, he thought lou costello was so funny that he couldn't keep it together so if you pay attention the quick cuts they try and do around the monster's face you can see him smiling in most of those scenes so he is so funny it feels like bud abbott must have been like if you're always playing the straight man that just seems like it would get like you couldn't help but be a little jealous of the person who gets all the funny stuff yeah, I think that was some of the tension with them because, like, when you read into their professional life, there are periods where they didn't talk to each other or like work together, uh, and a lot of it, I think, was Bud Abbott wanting to like break out and do some stuff on his own, uh, having been, you know, so thoroughly the straight man all the time. He had wanted to go on and do his own solo stuff, which I think both of them had, you know, their own solo careers as well. It's just you know they're most famous for their duo. Yeah, I didn't realize that they, like, when they started calling each other Chick and Wilbur, I was like, what are they saying? And Joe's like, that's their names. And yeah, I was that's like, the names oh, of the characters, were, yeah. I thought they were Abbott Costello. <laughs> I know, it's funny. Like, in most of their movies, too, like, in one of them, I think there's an instance where they, like, they, they like, break character. Like, I think it might be in, 
Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where they start referring to each other as Bud and Lou, even though that's not the names of the characters. Uh, And they just didn't fix it. So like you watch that movie and you're like, oh, they just give up on the character names like halfway through the movie. So Yeah, so I think like I I know Joe wants me to see Hold That Ghost Mm -hmm. or has mentioned it and I said I want to watch it. I feel like I could come back to this and things could change. Like, I think I might enjoy it more uh, on the next go around, but it was thoroughly enjoyable still. Yeah. Um, how many films have they done together? Like, are we talking like 50? God, yeah, they did like a good couple dozen at least. Wow. So, yeah. And then this was just the beginning of like, this was a hit. And so they then did a series of meet different monsters if you will like the the immediate follow-up to this one is called abbott and costello meet the killer boris karloff where they're in this murder mystery with boris karloff as the villain um and then they would meet the invisible man dr jekyll and mr hyde and then the mummy was the final one so okay which i think is i think that one's really funny abbott and costello meet the mummy that one's pretty funny um but yeah uh and i also like that this does a horror comedy like the way I feel it works best, which is to plug funny people into a horror story like the yeah. like because this could you could pull them out and this functions as just a universal monster mash movie like the Wolfman's not cracking jokes like they are true to their characters mm-hmm. uh, and, and then the jokes aren't like necessarily making fun of the monsters like it's just these guys it's all in their reactions dealing with these situations is where the humor comes from. Totally. And I think that's that works. Be- I think that's how horror comedy works best is when you do it that way. So, yeah, probably one of the first of its kind. It's got to be like uh, other than like hold that ghost predates this movie. So, okay, you know, there's there's some there's some movies that predate it, but this is the one that really like mixed horror with like established properties by doing like the Wolfman and Frankenstein's monster in there. So. And Joe told me, like, they don't necessarily always work at that store. Like, every movie they're working, like, oh, yeah. somewhere different. Like They're, al- they're always just dropped into different situations okay. as, like, different characters. Kind of like the okay. Three Stooges, where it's like, you know who they are, but every time you check in with them, there's no continuity between things. It's just a new setup. Do they have a similar movie? Uh, the Three Stooges have... I think the closest thing they have that I know of is there's one where they're in uh, Greece and they have to like, they run into like a minotaur and like various monsters from like Greek mythology. Like that's the, that's the closest three stooges one I can think of where it's like the three stooges go to Greece or something like that. It's called. So, okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's it. Unless you got anything else to add. I don't. Let's wrap this up. So out of f- five uh, masquerade wolf masks, how many Ooh, do you I love give that it? mask. Uh, people are probably hate me. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Oh, okay. With uh, the caveat that it can go higher. There you go. For sure. And and uh, I'm giving it a five. I just Ooh. love this. I, <laughs> I, I love this movie, so it's it's unfair for me to be objective here so all right well you have a scare of approval scare of approval this one yeah fun all right cool we'll we'll mix it up there scare of approval 
and a split, a split screen. screen. And then who knows what next week will bring. Yeah, we'll see. We will fucking see. But now uh, now that we got that out of the way, I might have to dip into some of the other Abbott and Costello meat down the road. Um, although I have, I'm not as familiar with the rest of them as this one. Like this one I've seen a million times. The others I think are okay, but not as funny as this one. Okay. Uh, so I've not rewatched them as like as much. So okay. I should, I should uh, revisit those and see if they're worthy of bringing up. So. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks for sharing with me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, out there, write to us. Tell us what you think of these movies, what you want us to watch, your thoughts, what you're watching now, whatever. Just share the scares with us. Yeah. Have you seen these movies? What do you think? Yeah. Tell us. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us now. Scaring or sharing at gmail.com. Oh, one word. (laughs) Follow us on Insta. Scaring or sharing. Oh, one word. word. Smash it together. And uh, we'll be back same time next week. And remember, long live the new Flash. And uh, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Long live the new Flash. That's video funny. That's, no, that's what I used to do. I used back to say in the it. day. Back in the day. So hail Paymon. <laughs> and keep watching and talking about scary movies because scaring is sharing. Bye. Uh... Scaring is sharing. Scaring is sharing. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.